Hey everyone, it's Judy Cohen, and this is Wake Up Call 325 on November 11th. So I always think of November as the start of the holidays, and it's well after the Jewish high holidays. It's around Diwali, it's heading into Thanksgiving and Native American Heritage Day. It's, you know, pointing at Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Western New Year's, the Lunar New Year. And it's also pointing toward the winter solstice, which is my wedding anniversary, the darkest day of the year. My my husband always likes to joke, but the darkest day of the year in the northern hemisphere, the lightest in the southern. And I've lived my whole life in the global north, and I love getting up early in the morning at this time of year, and it's dark, and walking across the land to my little office space. That's also my practice space and practicing, and often the owls are still hooting, and the moon is sometimes still up, and sometimes I close my eyes on the cushion, and then when I open them, the dawn is just starting to break, so sounds really beautiful, doesn't it? Like, kind of like something out of a movie, so much solitude and quiet and kind of perfect, but not really, because maybe, maybe just like you, maybe just like everyone, sound like I close my eyes and everything is serene and peaceful and joyful. It's nothing like that. I mean, there are those moments and I'm grateful for those moments. The treasures of practice, those moments when it's possible to let go, to observe the flow of the mind, to observe the body as it breathes and also its aches and pains without being troubled, observe the emotions as they come and go. But It's called practice for a reason. So for sure, we're practicing letting go into the moment, but we're also practicing with the experience of not letting go. Or another way of saying it is we're practicing so we can see when we're not letting go. And instead, when we're doing the opposite, wishing, wanting, grasping, struggling for things to be different. This firm I work for, why are they more supportive? My partner, why are they more understanding? Why am I so easily triggered or knocked off course? Why is our country so racist? How can we not have the political will to truly address address the ecological crisis? We, we do a pretty good job of aggressing it. So there's these why questions. Why, why, why? And in, in better moments, I have enough practice, and, and you probably do too, to see that beginning with why in relation to someone or something difficult rarely leads to a good result. This is just the mind arguing with reality. The firm is just what it is. The partner, the same. Me, also just what I am. The world, the U.S. What we're seeing is what's true. And also in better moments, it's easier to remember not to freeze anyone or anything. Each moment is like dipping a cup in a stream, as we like to say at the lodge amp. What's in the cup is of the moment. It isn't the street. Looking more deeply at the why, there's something else, something more to be, I think, grateful for. So it's not only gratitude that sometimes I can see the moment-to-moment changing reality of life. It's also that all of the things that are hard, all of the people who say and do things that hurt, the institutions that seem designed to infuriate, 
the racism, meaning what's embedded in my own mind and heart, and which I find humiliatingly difficult to uproot and deeply humbling. The almost unreachable sadness I'd feel when I see fewer geese flying south every winter. I'm grateful for, for all of that, too. Pema Chodron, the great Shambhala teacher, often talks about being grateful for the difficulties. In When Things Fall Apart, she writes about a lecture she once heard by a man who had gone to India to learn how to get rid of his negative emotions. <laughs> and his teacher kept telling him to drop the struggle and the student kept struggling. And finally, the teacher sent him away to meditate in a tiny hut in the foothills. So he got to the hut and he closed the door and he closed his eyes and he began to practice. And when night fell, he opened his eyes and he lit three candles so he'd have some light and then he closed his eyes and then he heard a noise and he opened his eyes and there in the corner of the tiny hut, swaying back and forth, was a giant cobra. And he froze and he washed, he was just awash in fear. And he stared at the cobra and he stared and he stared and he didn't take his eyes off the cobra all night long. All night long. It was just the cobra and him and fear. And then in the darkest time of the night, just before dawn, the last candle went out and he began to weep. And he wept not out of fear, but out of tenderness. According to Pema, he felt the longing of all of the animals and people in the world. He felt their alienation and their struggle. He saw how his whole practice had been about struggle and separation, trying to deny the truth of the moment of his emotions and his longings. And in that moment, he accepted everything as a gift his struggle, his alienation, and also that his own life and the lives of all beings are precious beyond measure. And then he stood up and he walked towards the snake and he bowed. And then he fell asleep. And when he woke, the snake was gone and he never knew if it was real or if it was imagined. He only knew, at least as Pema put it, that much intimacy with fear caused his dramas to collapse and the world around him finally got through. So you could look across the room right now and see who's your cobra or what's your cobra? What is it that deeply, intellectually, emotionally, mortally scares you? or angers you, or saddens you beyond belief? Is it death? Is it the collapse of the planet? Is it losing your job? Is it losing someone you love? Is it being wrong? <laughs> or is it the fear, the anger, the sorrow itself? Maybe FDR was right, and we really don't have anything to fear but fear itself. Maybe if we can face our difficult emotions and the difficulties of our lives, we'll see 
that our practice isn't about keeping them at bay or getting over them or even healing them. It's about allowing them. And then even one more step towards that cobra and the bow to that our practice is about being grateful for the difficulties. Grateful to be fully immersed in the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Grateful to be alive to the difficult and heartbreaking personal and interpersonal and the systemic work that lies in front of us. Grateful to be alive to the fact that our fears and sorrows aren't different from anyone else's or different from the fears and sorrows of all beings. I feel like that gratitude for the hard stuff is what makes it possible to live our fullest and most connected life. What makes it possible for the world, as Pema puts it, for the world to finally get through. So let's sit. your posture, your most supportive posture. Finding the dignity in your posture. Really honoring yourself for giving yourself a few minutes just to sit. I was talking with a friend last night and they were saying, oh, I I like reading your little snippets, but I never come. And when I asked her why, they said, well, I just don't have time. So we don't have time and we're here. So I'm honoring that. Just dropping into the present moment through the body. So settling in, feeling the body sitting or standing or lying down or walking.
And then just the invitation to let go into whatever is here, including whatever cobra is in the corner. And whether the cobra has a name or a face or is an idea or a concept or an experience, is it possible to bow to it? And to bow to the very thing that we most want to wake up in the morning and have it be gone. Because it's not just our fear, our sorrow. Whatever is there isn't different. For anyone else, the content maybe, but not the experience.
can we be grateful for giving up the struggle and making it possible for the world to finally get through? Thanks, everyone, for being on the wake-up call today. Take good care. Be well. I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.